uh, recording this, 6.30, the 4th of, the 4th of May. Uh, today, me and Nolan, we got a special guest. We got Haynes, man. Haynes from the Knicks wall coming on to talk to us. Um, I just wanted to get, you know, Haynes' opinion about, you know, the recent Knicks play. The Knicks have been playing amazing these last few games. We recently went on a nine-game winning streak, lost one to the Suns, but came right back, beat Houston and beat Memphis. How has been like, your energy towards this season, uh, Quentin? Uh, it's been it's been amazing this season. You know, I, I think most of us at the Knicks world didn't really expect us to have this good of a season, but, you know, everything seems to be falling into place. Julius Randle's playing well, RJ's playing well, and especially these last 15 games or so, they, they've really been taking a step forward. And uh, it's making the playoffs and the, right, the offseason a bit more interesting, to say the least. How you feel about that, Noah? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, the next year, like, the team's been playing great. I think we won 12 out of the last 13 or something like that. I mean, it's just been unreal. I mean, honestly, I was expecting after the All-Star break for us to see some regression from the team and from Randall specifically and probably end up closer to a playing game. And while that's, like, technically still possible – um it's pretty far-fetched at this point I mean it's just incredible the way they bounced back especially after that rough start after the all-star break losing Mitch and just the team's been just continuing to evolve so much getting better every game and people up and down the roster stepping up like when Burks went down seeing Rose and quickly really be able to close out games and um just our defense is finally letting people are finally hitting some of those open threes against us, but our offense has been getting so much better that it makes it, um, you know, we can, we can score with teams now and not just rely on shutting them down every game. Like you see production from Burks from quickly from Rose. It's just, it's just going to be really interesting to see some of the lineups for the rest of the season. And hopefully if they're, they're healthy, we can play around with some of the lineups come these last few games or some of these Western Conference games get out of hand and play around just to see what might work in the playoffs. I don't think Tibbs is really the coach to do that. I think he's more of a continuity guy, and that's why we have uh, Peyton still starting at point guard, and that's a big part of it. But, um, yeah, man, I mean, the season just been so far above my expectation what I had going into this year. It's just been really special. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, the play of Julius and uh, RJ have really been, you know, eye popping, especially for Randall, you know, speaking on Randall, how, you know, how much of a jump he had, his three point shooting, his field goal, everything has just improved. Uh, I've, Tibbs really helped uh, mold and shape, uh, you know, the culture around here. Uh, like Haynes, how, how you feel about Randall and then his progression, you know, because Randall, you know, last season, we all hated him. I, I mean, it's pretty much a consensus of Knicks fans, how they felt about Julius Randall. And then um, the drafting of Obi to replace him. Uh, how do you feel about Randall's uh, game this season? Impressive. I, I don't know how much of it is sustainable for the long term. Just, you know, the fluctuation in his three-point shooting. I think he's shooting about 42% the last time I checked. Yeah, yeah. But, but he's been an electric shooter. He's been the leader of the offense. I know a lot of people are tired about Alfred Payton, but Randall's really the point guard of the, of the team. and He runs everything. So 
At first, I was I, I was in that group of kind of letting Randall go. Um, I really thought the Knicks probably should have moved on from him, you know, at the start of the season. But he's proven me wrong. He's he's let he let us in on how the Knicks are operating. They they want tough guys, guys who are the first ones in the gym, and he he's been the leader of that team. So um, I didn't expect it, but he certainly evolved into a really special player and one I think the Knicks should keep for the long term. How you feel about that, Nolan? Yeah, I mean, if he can keep up his three-point percentage and especially his mid-range game, it's become almost like mellow-esque. I mean, you wonder how much the season before this that Mello and him were working out a lot. Obviously, you didn't see a ton of it last season, but you think that that had to have some impact on his game. And if he can keep playing like this, like a top 15 player in the league, I mean – He's someone that you can build a team around. I mean, I don't know if he'll be the best player on championship team, kind of like we said in our last podcast. But, I mean, I think he just completely changes the time frame for this group of players. Yeah, I agree. Randall's play has been ridiculous. Like, his step-back threes is like, yo, this guy is just a whole new human being. I 100% agree. Another player that I wanted to touch on was uh, R.J. Barrett. You know, R.J. Barrett coming into his sophomore season, uh, high expectations from us, the fans. You know, we wanted him to see it improve, especially since he missed the rookie teams and all that. Um one thing that has surprised me in RJ's uh, play is the three-point shooting. You know, he shot 31% from college. You know, the, the college line, everybody strokes it from college. Uh, he comes into the NBA season shooting around 33 32%. Okay, you know, he showed flashes. But now this year, you really see the work he put in, the development. Uh, you know, his shooting coach, him and his shooting coach put in the work all summer. He took away the hinge out of his shot. So now he has like a, a more fluent more uh you know he's able to use the jump shot in way more scenarios than he was able to do last year um and it's also uh, you know rj's competitiveness also has uh has shined through you know I'm, y'all all remember uh anthony edwards comments about you know we want him taking the shot and ever since then you know especially it's it's been uh out of the out of the water with his shooting uh haynes how, how you felt about uh, my young stud uh, rj i'm super high on RJ. Um, you mentioned the uh, Anthony Edwards comments. I go back to early, a bit earlier. Um, there was a Washington game. The Knicks played the Wizards at home and like the Knicks were sluggish and everything like the first three quarters and RJ just decided at the end of that game to just turn up and they won that game. Um, so I'm really impressed with RJ. I think the shooting is legitimate. I think he's, I think his playmaking is taking a step back because of Randall um, operating everything, but I still think he's a good playmaker and a good passer. So I'm curious, the sky's the limit for him. I don't, it's weird because we've never really seen a young wing player like this play this well, this early, like he's 20 years old and we've been trying to check back and see, you know, historically who this player, you know, who does he match up with? And we're really drawing a blank when we, at least us at the Knicks, we'll try to find a player like that. So you know, the sky's the limit for him. He says he's working on his, you know, off the ball dribbling and stuff like that. His ability to score off the dribble. So, I mean, this is a guy who I feel like all-star expectations are not insane heading into his third year. Yeah, I totally agree with that, man. I mean, I even saw your tweet earlier today talking about the uh, top five draft picks of that 2019 NBA draft. Yeah. 
it's just it's crazy to see how well these players are doing and how going into that draft and especially after that first year, everybody was making the gap between Zion, Morant, and then Barrett was a huge drop off. And you pull up the numbers of what they're both playing like this season and it's it's almost they're nearly identical this year and the perception seems to be that he's a jaws a franchise player where uh barrett seems to be like second fiddle to julius so i mean i don't know what do you think like in comparison to jaw what do you do you think they have a similar type ceiling there or do you think that jaw's still gonna be by far a better player yeah because I, I know you remember those twitter wars that we had like in the beginning of the season with memphis fans <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, yeah for sure um i think earlier i was so pro john Morant just because his ability to get to the basket mm-hmm. um when he gets it when he gets space and he gets to the basket he's one of those players where he can do anything i think the first Knicks games they, the first Knicks game they played you just saw him in the third quarter like just attack 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 and i think he's i don't know if he's a number one guy on memphis i don't know what that means for them whereas with rj i kind of feel more comfortable with taking the wing player who the only thing I've, i'm not comfortable with is how good is he scoring off the dribble so like early in the season, I was I was a Morant guy. I was a little bit hesitant on RJ, but now it, I think it's clear that RJ is the second best player from that draft. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree because um, I was a, I, I'm still am a Morant fan. I can't say sit sit here and lie. You know, I, I do love Morant's game, and I do like that Grizzlies roster to some point. But um, now, if you look at it, now it's no doubt that uh, RJ is going to be the second best player in this draft, and to see, you know, his progression is, uh, it, it is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Transitioning, uh, transitioning, uh, the Knicks playoff race, you know, it's getting tight in the standings, you know, it's go time. Well, it's been go time, but you know, th- how do you feel, uh, Haynes? Because this is a conversation that me and Nolan always have about, you know, like, who we like to face, you know, we have a comfortable lead at four, uh, you know, Atlanta, Boston, Miami, all those teams are in the mix. Uh, which team do you feel comfortable playing in the first round? Which team you don't want to see in the first round uh, to, to advance? How you feel? Well, it's, fu- it's funny because I, I think I'm going to write about something about that soon. Um, I'm not worried about them playing any team. I think if you want the Knicks to move on to the second round, you want the Hawks, right? Yeah. I think the Hawks are clearly the weakest out of those teams coming up. But if I'm a Knicks fan, I'm not a, I'm not afraid of Miami either. I'm not afraid of Boston simply because I think you want to see where they match up against those teams. I think as we move closer to a quote-unquote normal state where people and fans are going to start going back to games and everything and everything moves back to normal, I want to see how the Knicks match up against Miami in the playoffs and that setting and see, you know, I want to see them against Boston. I think for fans who want, that second round and want that fun. And I'm with them. You know, I, I would love to see the Knicks in the second round fighting against a Philadelphia or a Brooklyn. I also think that if you're a Knicks fan playing against Miami, you're getting the most information for the future of this team. If you play the heat, because you're going to see how Julius Randall matches up against Bam, who's one of the better defenders in the league. You are seeing RJ against Jimmy. You are seeing Tibbs against uh, Spo and tactics and what they need to fix. I think Nick fans are a little bit against playing Miami. 
I would I would encourage that. But if we want to get to the second round, we want to play Atlanta. How you feel about that, Nolan? Yeah, I mean, that's basically, I mean, those are the two teams, I mean, I've been talking about the past few weeks. I mean, I have been saying the Celtics just because Kemba Walker just this year hasn't looked like the same player. Tatum and Brown are great, but I just, I don't think they have the depth to compete with the Knicks in the seven-game series. But like you said, I think my my thing is anyone below us in the standings right now, I'm not afraid of playing because, I mean, at this point in the season, you just are what your record is. And to this point in the season, we've been better than all those teams. The reason that he scared me a little bit is that Jimmy Butler is just like kind of a grown man version of R.J. Barrett. And Bam is a player that could really give uh, Noel and uh, Julius some struggle. And I think that's what scares me a bit. But, I mean, if you could end up playing the Hawks, the Celtics, I don't think there's much chance we end up with, like, the Pacers or anyone like that. But um, it would just – I like I said, I'm not, I'm not afraid of any of those teams below us in the standings. See, my position on this conversation is um... – I felt like I see what you're saying, like on like the he in Boston, how like we were able to see like where we match up and everything. Mm-hmm. But we could we could do that in the second round after we celebrate in <laughs> after we beat Atlanta in the first round. I really think I really want to see Atlanta. Um, I think we're we're just too physical for them. We're too deep for them. Um, mm-hmm. they got a lot of young guys to account for, which haven't really you know haven't really played this year. Honestly, Cam Reddish and um. And Chris Dunn, a lot of those key places that they added, Rondo's not even there. Was that Herder or whatever? Yeah, yeah, Kevin Herder. I I like his game. Kevin Herder. He's good when he's healthy, man. He just didn't. Yeah, so, yeah, so I I, I really want Ellen. I really want to see that beating. I really do. Because even last year, we (laughs) had their number, right? Uh, We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how how that shapes up. Um, Another. uh, Oh, go ahead. Before you jump, yeah, I just wanted to say one more thing. Like, I think Celtic fans want the Knicks series, but like I don't fear the Celtics at all. Like I watch that team play. I, I I fear them if the Knicks can't like push the lead on them. That's the only thing. Like if mm. the Knicks and the Celtics play and it's like 92-91 with five minutes to go, then I think Boston's gonna win because Tatum and Brown are just really good closing out games. But their bench doesn't bring any confidence to me. Kemba, as you said, is just dealing with his injuries and like if the Knicks could shorten the bench and like push a lead to like 10, 12 points on Boston, I truly don't think Boston has the ability to come back. And if they do, they're draining their top two guys. So it's just like, I think Boston, New York, like I really do feel like that's a seven game series either way. Oh, for sure. I was about to say, I think that game goes seven and home court advantage would probably be the deciding factor in that series. But I think that would just be, like, I'd love to see us play the Celtics and then go on to play either, like, Brooklyn or Philly, just because then you get to see if we win that first-round series. You get to see us against, like, some of the top teams, like, talent-wise. In the league. Whereas if you're playing the Heat – I mean, not the Heat, the Hawks, not that they're not good. I just think we're a few steps ahead of them right now. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you guys. I agree with you guys. Um, switching over, uh, Haynes, I wanted to get your opinions on uh, me and Nolan. We've always um, we always talk about um, our center position and how, you know, uh, Mitch, uh, Mitch, we love Mitch. We love Noel. But, you know, those guys are injury prone and uh, Taj has been doing a, a great job filling in tough player you know we love Taj's hard work out there Mm -hmm. but um as far as long term on the center position how comfortable do you feel giving Noel or Mitch a long-term deal or none of them or just giving them one-year deals like like how ideally would you want to deal with this uh center you know situation so I think I'm still on the side of giving Mitchell Robinson like a long-term deal like now like Um, this summer yeah so Noel, Noel's, and I was a fan of Noel bringing him in last year, but I think the thing with Noel is that as good as he is, there's always just a little bit to be desired there. Like he doesn't have good hands on offense. And I, I question, <laughs> yeah, just terrible. And like you, he can shoot free throws, but he can't, he's not someone who's going to extend his range out. And I think he's a really good backup center. You know, I think he's one, I think he's probably the best backup center in the league, but if he's your starter, I I just don't, not a fan of that. Whereas with Mitch, we saw Mitch kind of take the proper steps this off season to be better. He stopped blocking as many shots. He started taking the right blocks instead of just running out to block shots, just to block them. He's stepping in. Yeah. Yeah. And like, to me, it's just, if I'm running the Knicks right now, I would give Mitchell Robinson like a decent contract, something around like 10 or 10 million a year. And I would just play it out. You know, I think we, I think general NBA fans look at new contracts and just say, this guy is locked in for four years. And it's just, I think when you have a center like Mitchell Robinson play it year by year, the Knicks could make the playoffs next season with Mitchell Robinson as their starting center, realize that he's not the guy. And there's always going to be a team that wants a center who can stabilize their defense. So there's always in. So even though those type of players are kind of falling out of favor, those players are always going to have a space in the league because there are always teams that can't defend. Like the Knicks could sign Mitchell Robinson right now, play the whole next year. And then a team like Sacramento who can't defend right now can go and say, we need someone who can defend the rim and they can look at Mitchell Robinson see a cost-effective big and trade for him. So my thinking right now is I would keep Mitch. I would probably do the same thing and sign a veteran center, maybe a little a cheaper one around the $5 million range, and I would just play it by ear. How you feel about that, Noah? I'm pretty similar. I mean, I, I definitely want to lock Mitch up for a reasonable deal. I don't think I'd go much higher than $12 million a year, like four years. Like you were saying, around 10 would be ideal, especially with that mm-hmm. foot injury. But um, I'd like to bring Nerlens back for one more year, even if you could, like, had to overpay him for one year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think if um, you bring Nerlens back for one year, if you can't get him at a reasonable deal, I'm actually fairly comfortable with Pell. If you could bring back Pell and Gibson for one more year as backups, like that doesn't bother me. I mean, you saw they had eight combined blocks last night. So it's not like a bad contingency plan if you can't find either, if you can't get Nerlens or you can't get another center of like reasonable contract on a one or two year deal to back them up. 
Yeah, for sure. The like the center position is a is a topic for the front office next year. In my opinion, I believe like they should bring them back. I don't know about them cashing out uh Mitch just yet, just because mm -hmm. like his injury uh problems and and it's not even him. It's just big men in general in this generation. They always get hurt. You know, counting down the lottery picks down the years and man, they they just always been hurt down. And um. You know what you could do with that, though, is like not that it's to the extent Joel Embiid is or that he's the player Joel Embiid is, but you could even maybe possibly work in some injury clauses into a contract like that and make it more favorable for the Knicks. I don't know how likely that Mitch would be to go for that. I mean, Mitch seems to change his agent every other month, but I think that if you could work something like that in and give him a little bit more money per year, even if you had to bump up to like 15, but contingencies that if you mix, if you miss X amount of games, you get this amount deducted or something like that. I think that would be mm -hmm. like a perfect solution. Uh, yeah, that's a good, that's a good route for, that would be a good route for Mitch on, on the contract things. Uh, as far as Noel to um, my opinion, I feel like, all right. So if you have Noel and like, if he comes out in the summer, I feel like he's a very he's gonna be very sought after. Just the recent play, you know how you they say you know when when the team wins, everybody wins, everybody gets paid. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like Noel could be a candidate for that. I feel like teams like you said, uh, Haynes, like uh, the Kings could come in, uh, Portland, who's we're gonna talk about later, whose defense has been bad, they could come in and swoop him. I, Noel will have some suitors, man. Noel will have some suitors for a set for a starting job. I know we don't want him to be our starter, but you know, there's some teams that see his production and would gladly take him on as a starter. What do you think about that, Hanzo? I agree. I think the thing with like you said, once you start winning and once people start seeing the players that are effective in winning, they they instantly go for him. So you can see Nerlens go somewhere like a Portland, like you said you know, and get the starting job. You know, I think the question for Nerlens Noel this offseason is going to be, do you want to stay in New York, make decent money, and maybe hit the market again one more time? Or are you going to get a proper deal this offseason to where you get the starting minutes, you lock those in, you lock the money in, and you just go? You know, and I, I think that's going to be interesting. I remember early in the season, um, he fired his agent and there was a lot of speculation that he was on yeah, the apps yeah. then. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to be interesting to see what um, they do with Nerlens. But I think Nerlens is going to have a fair amount of suitors just because you see him be successful as a starter on a good Eastern Conference team. I'm still so surprised that Nerlens turned down that deal with Dallas. I was just about to say that. He turned down four years, $71 million, thinking, accepting the qualifying offer, thinking he would get a max the next summer. Crazy, yeah, that bro. was crazy. Been great fit, man, man, man. All right, um, so you know, transitioning, I want to talk about D Rose because ever since we acquired D Rose, like the team has has uh, been better and better. Uh, you know, as Knicks fans, I know we all hate Alfred Payne. I don't, I don't know. There's a fan that loves Alfred that loves Alfred Payne, except for the <laughs> except for the burner account. You know, <laughs> there's nobody cheering on Alfred Payne in the Knicks jersey except That's for true. the burner account. Um, like, how, like Haynes, how do you feel about Derrick Rose? It's a conversation we always have. How do you feel about Derrick Rose? Because he's putting up 16, 4, and 3, shooting 41% from 3 on two attempts, but he's giving us a threat from the outside. How do you feel, Haynes? 
Um, before you before I jump to Rose, I just want to mention that burner one more time. I, that burn is hilarious because there was one day they was like, it was like, oh, the Knicks are playing well. You know what this means, right? What do you think Alfred Payton is going to score tonight? And I was like, yo, this this is wild. <laughs> do you think it's <laughs> whoever's run? I don't, I don't, I think it's a family member to be honest. It has to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to be someone close. But with Derrick Rose, I wasn't a fan of that trade at first. A lot of it had to do with off the field uh, stuff, and that's just that's just my temperament towards players who have dealt with stuff like that before, um, and that's unfair. You know, giving a guy a second chance, and he's really turned out to be a solid player this year for the Knicks. I think with Alfred Payton on the floor, there's just nothing there, right? So like he can create shots, he can attack the basket, but there's nothing. There's no magnetism there. Whereas with Derrick Rose, his movement, you just feel it differently when you watch him play, whether it's him attacking the basket or not even attacking, just stutter stepping into the lane, he -hmm. gets more respect. And that creates just a little bit more space for like an RJ catch and shoot or Reggie Bullock, you know, cutting to the basket or even for Mitch or Noel getting a dunk. You know, I just think there's a little bit more respect there and Tibbs using him coming off the bench and being that spark plug in the second unit. I think you can legitimately argue that's one of the key things that assisted in the Knicks turning this season around. Oh, yeah. I think outside of Harden, that's probably one. Harden, maybe Eric Gordon, that's probably the most impactful trade in the NBA this season. No, it has to be. It has to be. It has to be because, yeah. you know, because – and and the thing about Derrick Rose was, you know, I seen Knicks fans hate on the acquisition on, on Derrick Rose when we only gave up Dennis Smith Jr. and a second-round pick and and how he'll be detrimental to quickly. Which, like, where are you even getting that from? When he was in Detroit, you saw multiple, like, snap like instagram story multiple he's taking the young guys out isaiah stewart uh killian hayes he's taking them out and training camp he gave a young killian hayes his starting job who does that like this kid straight out of europe comes in and and you're cool with just you know giving him your starting job not a lot of veterans in the league are comfortable with doing that um you know and also, like, the way him and Quickly uh, are able to play with each other, able to give Quickly, you know, um, truly in his freshman year, letting him do everything, he's able to do well. He's not he's not asked to do something, like, playmate. He's not asked to do – shoot the ball, score the ball. Do what you got to mm-hmm. do, right? And I think that's uh, a key thing that Rose has, um, has added there. Um, uh, switching gears real quick um, – to our guy uh Mello. Mello uh passed uh broke the top 10 in scoring all time. A huge milestone to his already Hall of Fame career. Um just one of the most dynamic, most elite three-level scorers. Always had that three-point ball. You know, he was a bully inside. Uh incredible mid-range game, dumped it off. How many times we've seen, you know, Raymond fell in and like all those all our point guards dumping it down and him scoring uh you know I wanted to go around and ask what are you guys favorite uh mellow moment in the Knicks jersey and uh my favorite moment was uh I don't know if you guys remember but I did I was watching that shit live as a little kid um <laughs> when um when he hit those two daggers and for the Bulls, those threes, I know you guys remember that he hit yes, one sir. in Taj face and he yeah, hit one in Yeah, I had that one on my list. Man, <laughs> I was man, I was that was probably one of the happiest days as a Knicks fan for real. Like uh, uh, that 
that one and not not a mellow highlight, but that Christmas Day game, I think, against the Celtics, when I thought when it looked like Amari hit that game winning three. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that, yeah. I was going crazy and they <laughs> ripped my heart out. It was, uh, that was such a fun game though. Haynes, how you how you feel about Melo's career and uh what's your favorite Melo moment? Man, the more the further we get away from the Melo era, the more I the more I miss it. You know, I think it's just maybe in the moment you I think in general we as basketball fans, we kinda if the team's not gonna win a title, this doesn't matter. But I, I think there's value in being able to watch a great player. Like for that time period, we were able to, you know, hypothetically go to the garden and watch one of the best scorers of all time play. Mm-hmm. And I think we I think you see a little bit with Russell Westbrook now where it's just like these guys who are not winning championships, they they tend to lose respect very quickly and they're still providing and they're still playing well. You know, I I wasn't a fan of Carmelo Anthony getting kicked out of Houston. So it was great to see him, you know, re- reclaim himself, get everything back in order and go to Portland and get right, you know. And it just shows you that sometimes some guys just need different, you know, different changes of scenery, just places they can go. Everyone has a fit in the league. I truly believe that. So, you know, it's just good to see him do that. My favorite memory is actually that Chicago game, too. Uh, I remember watching it just freaking out after the second after the second three. Um, one of my er- one of my earlier favorite moments it was probably when the first season when he got there and like the Boston series, everyone was injured. He put up like 47 points, like 15 rebounds and like six, six assists in the Boston series. And I was just like, yo, this is like one of the 10 best players in the league. Was that the one game we lost in that or one in that series? I think so. Yeah. And I know the we played them one year, we lost four one, then we won the next year. Right. Yeah. 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 That's how that went. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and he just went insane. And I was like, yo, this is like one of the – like we really have this guy on our team and he wants to be here. And it was mm-hmm. just – that solidified me as a Mellow fan. I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, one thing about Mellow is like, you know, like after he left the Knicks and, you know, he went into OKC, you could see the uncomfortability immediately. You know, he came from having his own team to being third fiddle. You know, Billy, I never was a fan of Billy Donovan. Billy Donovan never really used him, right? And then he went over to Houston and he didn't even last half a season over there, unfortunately. And, you know, he was out of the league and all that disrespect was thrown on his name, all the dirt, all, man, it was, it was cringy to see as a Knicks fan. Um, like Quentin, I was just, uh, now that you said about the Houston situation, how do you feel? What was your mind frame at, you know, when he was being disrespected? He had to come on ESPN to talk about his issues. Like, how, how did you feel? I, I felt a way because I think Stephen A, I, I think everyone kind of jumped the gun, right? Like, we kind of, we, not we, but I think the basketball, you know, basketball media kind of just said Carmelo's done. And they didn't really give it a chance to think about what he brings to the league and what, you know, what his deficiencies are. He's not a good defender anymore. You know, he's not capable of playing on the perimeter like that defensively. Um, He does seem like more of a six man than a starter at this day and age based on how he likes to get the ball, where he likes to get in, where he wants to score. But I just think when the whole Houston situation broke down, like Houston didn't even really give it a chance to fail. They kind of just cut the cord immediately, and then Extremely it allowed. Weird. You think yeah. that has something to do with his relationship with D'Antoni? 
That's a good. I never really thought of it. That's a good point because him and Dan Tony really didn't get along. Right, he's only pretty much forced him out for Woodson, yeah, right? Yeah, they weren't even talk. They weren't even talking by the time he got mm-hmm. fired. That's what so, made that whole move so weird. Yeah, and it's just like I'm, I'm sure there was a clash there at some point, and I'm sure they didn't really get along because. Antonio always wanted Carmelo to move the ball, and Carmelo—that's not Carmelo's game. So, I'm sure that had affected. I'm sure that had a, a piece to do to do with that. I also think Daryl Morey just in that those last few years of Daryl Morey in Houston, he tried to make every quick move to try to win a title. And when he saw that the Melo thing wasn't essentially going the right way, he just cut the cord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how you feel about that, Nolan? That whole I situation because we never really spoke about that. Pretty much the same. I mean, as far as like, as far as the mellow tenure, I love having him come in here. I mean, Haynes, I don't know if you know this that much, but like about my background, but I'm from Pittsburgh. So mm-hmm. I never really was a huge Knicks fan or thing growing up. I mean, I remember like the Spreewell seasons and liking those teams a little bit. But, you know, mostly I watched uh, the Sixers and AI growing up. Because, I mean, what kid doesn't love AI growing up? (laughs) Watched him go to Denver with Melo, followed Melo to the Knicks. And, like, he's essentially the reason I am a Knicks fan. Um, I think that giving up what we had to give up to get Melo really put us in a bad situation and that we didn't really handle things well in there to begin with. But, I mean, my favorite memory outside of the ones you guys named would probably be him setting uh, – in that All-Star game, he set that record for uh, most threes. So I think it was eight threes in an All-Star game. It's probably been passed up by Curry or somebody now. But, um, I mean – Mello was so fun to watch. I got to watch him one game out in Philadelphia in my life, one of the only two Knicks games I've ever been to. But, I mean, that 62-point game he had against the Bobcats, which, I mean, you kind of got to put a little asterisk on because they were like a glorified G League team at that point. <laughs> but, I mean, just Mello, when he was on, he was the most entertaining player to see in basketball yeah for real now shout out to Melo, man shout out to Melo. switching years to Melo's teammate um so you know berman you know he had you know berman you know how he is he had to write that article about uh <laughs> the portland situation and how dame is frustrated and you know how the knicks are interested in picking him up um you know as far as like the knicks as far as the knicks wise in this trade right like I'm like I don't want to give up RJ, but you know it's interesting to hear Cohen's ideas from last from yesterday and to hear his thoughts about the situation. And me and Nolan always go back and forth. Is like if I'm Portland, there's no way I'm giving you either CJ or Dame without asking for RJ in return. And in that article, it said how the Knicks are you know they want to give away four four first round picks and you know all this nonsense, which you're taking a risk on. But you know, you're act, you know, instead of actually getting the blue chipper himself, like Haynes, how do you feel about that article? How do you feel like Dame coming to New York and you know, the ideal package for you? Because you know, Knicks fans are all over the place with that. 
I'm actually I'm actually on the fence about it. And I and the reason why is because I think Dame's a talented player. I think he's probably one of the 10 or 12 best players in the league. He's 31 years old, and I don't exactly know what that means for the Knicks moving forward. I don't know if you add Dame and you're suddenly a contender. And I know that's a silly way of looking at it because anytime you have a chance to add one of those talented players, I tend to say just go get them, right? But in this case, the Knicks are in such a precarious position. They can really set themselves up to be really good for the next decade plus if they play it right. I'm not sure if Dame is the guy I actually want to make a move on right now. I mean, as far as the fit, he's perfect, right? Because he can shoot, he can, he can run the offense, he'd be the best player on the team, and he can he puts Randall in the, in the second place on the team, and he hypothetically puts RJ as the third best player on the team. That just removes all the pressure from RJ at that point. So, I mean, he would be a good fit. I, I don't put RJ in that trade. I think RJ is as close to untouchable as most top young players in the league. I wouldn't trade him for – there's very few players I would trade him for at this stage. So they would – if I'm running the Knicks and we're having a conversation, it starts with Quigley. Um, you can have Obi, and I think you can have about three, three first-round picks. And by doing that, we're giving you two young players, multiple draft picks – and we are contributing to your rebuild because if you trade Lillard, you have to trade McCollum. So you can eventually sell that to the fans as you getting a bunch of draft picks, two young players, and go from there. How you feel about I that, Nola? I completely agree with that. It's like actually like a reading from my notes. I literally have quickly OB, three first rounders, Knox or Frank as a filler if need be, and Robinson if we really, really had to. I just don't think if you give up RJ, we I don't I don't think Randall and um, and uh, Lillard are enough to make you a championship team. So I mean, if you could get with getting rid of it quickly and whoever else besides Randall and uh, RJ, I'm all for it. I think the window's wide enough that you can do that for three or four years. We have so many first-round draft picks. I think it's, what, like seven in the next two years? And then a sec- high second round with Detroit. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it we have the capital to do it. And I get what you're saying is, like, you're not sure if quickly – or not quickly, um, Lillard is the player. But you also see on the other end of that spectrum what happens to teams like Boston when they don't use their assets before it's too late and you should end up drafting a bunch of guys and some of them pan out some of them don't and some of them end up just getting cut because you can only have so many players on your team so i mean if that package was available i'm all in for it i just don't know if it happens this year i don't see uh lillard trying to get out this year i think it probably takes one more year and um, I think they probably fire the coach first, maybe fire the GM first. But if he's trying to get out, him and uh, Fox are the two biggest targets I'd like the Knicks to trade for in the coming few years here. No, no, there's no, no guarantee. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say there's no guarantees, but I want to I want to throw a question to you guys. You can pick one. You don't know the context, but you can just pick one. 
Would you rather have Dame this offseason or Stephen Curry next offseason? Personally, Curry next offseason. I, I, I don't know if Curry's leaving Golden State, obviously, like you said, but if yeah. I had a choice between the two, I think he puts us even closer to title contention than uh, than Dame does. And I love Dame, but Curry's just – Steph Curry, man, the only unanimous MVP in the league history. If, if he wants to come to this team, I, I'll take him in a heartbeat. Because that's yeah. what I think the play is, is that I think the Knicks want to figure out – I think the Knicks are going to play it cool this offseason, which is going to annoy me in the moment. I, I can I can feel it. I think mm-hmm. they're going to try to make basic moves, but nothing too serious. And I think Steph Curry is the guy they're going to aim for. I think Devin Booker, I think – um, Donovan Mitchell are names that they're going to try to preserve a bunch of flexibility for in the future future. But I think if they're going to make a big splash now, I think Steph Curry is the name they're waiting for. Man, if Steph Curry ever got into a Knicks uniform, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if my heart can contain the excitement. Honestly, Stephen Curry is my favorite player that's not in the Knicks jersey. Stephen Curry is ridiculous. And the way he would come in and change the franchise, change the offense, it would be ridiculous. But I I think he uh I think he stays a golden state. I think he stays in Golden State for the rest of his career. I really do. That's a, that's a, I know because um the the Knicks film school, they were talking about that in their last podcast. And uh I just can't see it. I I really do not see that, bro, because you know, Stephen Curry, he, he's different from any other player in the league because he's, he, you know, he's a foundational piece to that franchise because, you know, before he even came there, they've been, you know, terrible for decades yeah. on in, right? I don't know. I don't know. But if I had to pick, it's definitely Stephen Curry, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And uh, no, you Where are you about- at, Haynes? Where, where would you prefer? I, I, would, I would wait for Steph. And I think it's going to be interesting because I think it's ultimately going to be a test of how does Steph view himself and in, in the ability of winning in the future. I think it also relates to Clay. Like if Clay is Clay, they should be a good team. But I don't know if they're a top team in the West anymore. Is depending on how Steph feels about the challenge of still trying to win titles, it will determine whether he wants to stay there long term or whether he wants to leave. And He's somebody who did want to come to the Knicks before when he was a when he was a prospect. So, you right. know, I think I think the the idea of hey, you come to New York, we have this ground and everything set for you. We have the young player in RJ that's going to be hypothetically what 22, 21, 22 by the time uh, Curry steps there. So he's going to have some playoff experience. Randall's played well. It's an interesting proposition for Curry, and if I'm the Knicks, I, I would, I would test the waters and see what's going on this summer. To be honest, yeah, I mean it's interesting with the Warriors because I mean they have Wiseman, they have probably another pretty decent draft pick this year, and it just can can you package those two to get another player in with that group, or do you try to get another top end player in with Wiseman, Curry, Clay, and Draymond? and build that way kind of like in the Spurs-esque like trying to maintain the dynasty I think I mean I think that's gonna be the biggest question and like you said how comfortable Curry is with that prospect developing that way 
Yeah, interesting. Turning back to the conversation about Dame and, um, you know, the reason why all this even started is because, you know, Portland's Portland's played this season, right? You know, Portland has been six and five in their last 11 games, you know. Um, People have rumors about, you know, the coach being fired, you know, the backcourt, you know, they don't defend enough. And, and, you know, I believe the front office have really mismanaged the way they've been running these past summers, you know, even dating back to the Alan Crabb contract, you know, you know, mm-hmm. we love Melo, but, you know, Melo is not stopping nobody. You know, they have Nurkic. Well, Nurkic doesn't really defend nobody around the rim. Canner, yeah, we seen Can- like half his games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And we seen Canner, another player, Canner, like, you know, he, he ain't shit on defense. And, and Alfred Simons, which, you know, I, I like his game, but, you know, that's just another small guard backing up CJ and Dame. Um, you know, Haynes, how do you feel about Portland, you know, decisions over the summer? How do you feel about, like, should they break up the backcourt? Just just on Portland-wise, you know, how do, how do you feel about their season overall? Because, you know, it's two m- mediocre seasons back-to-back now. Yeah, it's, it's starting to feel like everything is just – the ceiling has been hit and I think the Blazers should consider trading CJ or Dame. Um, but I also think that they're in a position where it's like, well, we can't rebuild. We can't actually get the third star next to those guys. Like I actually think the Covington move was a good move, but I think you kind of see the limitations of Covington and why he's always, he's not overrated, but his value on the floor is underrated, but his, contract and his pricing for his trades have always been overrated like you'd rather have I would rather have a first round pick right now than Covington on the roster even though Covington's really good defensively I just think the Blazers have made a lot of weird moves even the Zach Collins trade they traded 15 and 20 for 10 got Zach Collins when this is a team that didn't really need a guy like Zach Collins they kind of needed the two shots in the dark to see if they can hit on them and mm-hmm. they went for Collins and that kind of failed on them. So now it's kind of just trying to figure out how can we go from there? I hated the Gary Trent Jr. trade just because you're giving up Gary Trent Jr.'s restricted rights for Norm Powell who can walk for free. Norm Powell can take Norm Powell could take a meeting and say, Oh, I like, you know, I like Houston and just go to Houston and you can't do anything about it. Whereas with Gary Trent Jr., you know, he may want to go somewhere, but the Raptors are going to be able to lock him in and keep him as a part of their young core now, you know? So I, I think Portland kind of needs just a cultural reset, right? I think at this point, everything kind of stinks, unfortunately. And trading Dame, trading CJ, I think that's a part of what needs to happen. Now I just kind of think they need to blow it up, try again. Dame's going to, Dame's jersey is going to get retired. I think CJ's jersey is going to get retired as well. Um, um, but yeah. But those guys, they've been good soldiers. They've been excellent players. They've given you memories, and it's time to kind of pivot. I feel – I don't want to go too deep on a tangent when I say this, but I kind of feel the same way about, like, the Indiana Pacers, where it's just, like, these teams try to make the – these middle market teams try to make moves to preserve this yeah. one core, this mm-hmm. one period of winning, and they always go one or two steps too far. And they're always right. one or two step, one or two years too late in making the rebuild. Portland has two excellent assets, so they're not too late. But I just feel like it's time to to move on and try to change everything up, try to pivot. How do you feel about that, Noah? 
Yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree. I mean, I think Portland's window was it's closed after this year just because, I mean, they've had so many opportunities and they've had some playoff success, but if they can't stay healthy enough and players are as limited as we've seen them, and I hated that trade too. I didn't think it made much sense outside of the restricted rights. Like I just, I don't know. I don't think that uh, um, he's much better of a player than Gary Trent Jr. I, I, I really don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think Portland has many other options than blowing it up. I think it's just kind of a matter of when Dane decides to throw in the towel, because I think the organization, he's like one of the few players in the league that has enough respect by his organization that they're not going to get rid of him until he wants to go. He's going to go out on his terms. Now, you guys touched on some key parts, right? The Zach Collins thing, right? The Zach Collins thing didn't make no sense. Even though he's shown some good, uh, you know, good moments here and there, he hasn't been able to stay on the court. Um, you know, they, when they when they traded Gary Trent Jr., we talked about it on the pod. I, I scratch my head thinking about it every time, you know. Like, I love Duke. I'm going to say it every time, every podcast. <laughs> and uh, Besides Daniel Jones. <laughs> yeah, except for Daniel Jones, man. I don't know what's wrong with bro, but – he needs to get it together this year, but you know, you know, he, he was one of the better players they have drafted, you know, during that whole regime. And, you know, I, I also believe, you know, Terry Scott's uh, voice has just, you know, they're tired of hearing. He's been there almost near a decade. You know how that goes. You know, he's not, well, he's pop. yeah, he's not pop. He's not, you know, Steve Curry. He's not one of these coaches with a heavy legacy. You know, he's pretty much there because, you know, Dame messes with him. You know, Dame, that's his dude. Uh, he, you know, Terry Scott, you know, saw the, you know, saw CJ, saw Dame and helped development, helped develop them. And I think that's like one of the key factors on why it's, it's like this now, why they, it's only coming out that they're kind of frustrated now when they've been having mediocre, they have, they have had a mediocre, mediocre seasons for a little bit of while now. And, um, you know, the exact timing on when their window uh, closed for me is when they played, I, I can't remember if it was 19 or 18. I think it was 19 before the, the playoffs before the COVID. It was Steph and Clay. No Durant. Durant was hurt. You know, he was coming. He was getting ready to come mm-hmm. back for the finals. It was Steph and Clay versus Damon CJ and the role players. You have to like, I'm not saying that you guys are better, but you guys cannot get swept. You know, you get you can't get swept and you can't get embarrassed the way they did. If, once I saw that series, I was just like, "Yeah, it's over with. The windows closed. And it's just a matter of time now." And it mm-hmm. seems like I was correct. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. Even even the year they made the the conference finals, it was yeah. it just felt it just felt like you know they were just there, you know. And it's kind of disappointing. I know Blazer fans wouldn't agree with that, but you know we didn't really think they were going to come out of the, the West, which is unfortunate, but it is true. You know, and in that time, we've seen teams like Denver uh, take a step forward, and it's just like they left them in the dust, and they really haven't been able to compound anything outside of the CJ and Dame duo. And I think that's going to be the biggest downfall for them is that they just haven't been able to add new talent, new blood into the mix, and – that's it. You know, Denver added Michael Porter Jr. And then they went and got Aaron Gordon. 
you got to always be able to recreate yourself, especially when you're not one of these teams that are title favorites. So, no, I agree, and that separates um okay from great front offices. You already got mm-hmm. the stars, right? All right, so how do you change year to year to complement them, right? And you know, some front offices they have a tremendous job doing it, and some they don't, and it it hurts the team dramatically. Uh, switching gears, just one more uh, topic before we let you go. Uh, this has been a very Knicks-heavy podcast. We usually talk about the whole league, but, you know, you got a special oh, don't, episode. Hey, hey, any questions you have, I'll, I'll try to answer them. I got you. I got you, bro. Um, so the playing tournament, you know, there's been a couple of, there's been a couple of players complaining for obvious reasons. Uh, Luca was complaining about, you know, he was complaining about it doesn't make sense. LeBron said it didn't make sense. As a fan perspective, my, you know, I love it. You know, it, it creates, uh, now these games matter when before last, the last couple of seasons, you know, these games didn't really matter. We would, I would skip, you know, during this time of the season, I was gearing up for the playoffs. You know, I was barely, unless it was a prime time matchup where, you know, both teams were going to come, we're going to go at it. I'm not really watching basketball, but now the games matter, um, you know, the, the, the playing tournament brings in extra revenue for the league, which is, you know, great on their part. How do you feel about, Haynes, how do you feel about the playing tournament? Is it here to stay? Should, should they get rid of it? How do you feel? I think it's here to stay, but it does need to be tweaked just a little bit, only because I, I think it gives us fans more games to watch that matter near the end of the season. But I just, in the grand scheme of things, like I'm watching the 10th best team in the East try to make the playoffs. And I just, I don't know how how long the novelty of that is going to last, right? So it's just, I I think they need to find some ways to tinker with it. I don't know what to do, though. So, I mean, it's here to stay. I think it's been fine. I think, you know, certainly a player like Russell Westbrook playing the way he has recently has certainly turned things up there and has allowed the playing series to be a little bit more respected. But I, I just think as we get a year, two, three down the line, we're going to start questioning like, oh, are we really watching like the 10th place, uh, you know, 10th place team and we're, we're tracking them and we're hoping they make the, the play-in series. And does especially, that really matter? Especially with the way it is now, it's like it's not even the 10th best team. It's the 10th best team in the Eastern Conference. It's the 10th best team in the Western Conference. So, like you said, like the Wizards, and I don't even know who's in ninth right now in the East. But, I mean, they, those aren't great teams. And it just – they're, they're going to be exciting to watch. And I think the play-in series, if it's adjusted moving forward, that it should just be the 9 and 10 seed going to play the 8th seed. Uh-huh. But – uh, I mean, I definitely agree. There needs to be changes, but I think it's done more for preventing tanking than any of the draft lottery adjustments ever did. How do you guys? See, has it, oh, I'm sorry. Has it? Because I watched this Oklahoma City team, and no one talks about it, but Oklahoma City is just sitting Al Horford. He's completely healthy, and they have a couple of injuries, but they're also not playing guys. Like, I feel like the I, I feel like the issue with curving tanking is the idea is it's we focus on the wrong thing right it's the teams that are tanking it's not the positions that they're trying to aim for my biggest thing that the league needs to change before anything is they need to lower the amount of teams in the lottery 
because mm-hmm. if you're mm-hmm. because every year it's not the it's not the bottom four teams that are tanking. It's always that team that is like tenth on March second, and next thing you know, you look and they're sixth by the end of the season. Like those teams should not be getting the option of getting the number one pick to me, they need to cut the lottery down to six teams, flat odds. I think it's like 12.5. And then uh, that's probably eight. (laughs) That's probably eight teams, but the correct odds for six teams, let those six teams figure it out. Team seven through 14, you are just slotted in. Yeah, I agree with that, man. I actually, I never thought of that take before. That's actually seems like a really good solution. Right. No, the reason why I feel like the playing tournament is here to stay is because, like, the whole NBA universe, I mean, you know, some of us, they were saying, like, how we wanted a top 16. Like, we didn't even want, like, an East and West no more. We just wanted the top uh, 16 because of how lopsided the talent on the West was compared to the East. I feel like the league has a lot of questions to talk about. And, you know, it's funny how you talk about the lottery games, right? Because, you know, they switched it up on us as soon as we decided to tank, right? For real, for real. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and, that was crazy. Man. And, like, and I know we got RJ, which is a great consolation uh, prize. You know, you know, I'm not going to say that's a consolation. I actually firmly believe, and this is probably a super hot take, but I think RJ is going to be – end up being the best player in that draft. Oof, I, I, I think know. I think Zion's knees and how big he is, he's going to wear on him, and he's not going to have as long as of a career to justify. He's going to be great as long as he can stay healthy, and he'll obviously be number one. But I think you're already seeing RJ pass the jaw and that it's basically between him and – I mean, he was the number one player out of high school, the number one – player up until Zion passing at Duke but I mean I just don't see Zion's limit being that much his ceiling being that much higher than RJ's are you in the same boat of that Haynes because I don't know about that um my only thing with Zion right is that I think he's actually a better passer than people think and like oh that's definitely yeah like when you can pass you can kind of change the game a little bit easier i think i think rj actually has equity in being like a top 20 player in the league at some point but because zion's so like zion's literally shack and mm-hmm. what i mean like he's Shaq like with a handle and can pass <laughs> yeah like he's like orlando shack where it's just like everything's coming easy to him he's getting he, yeah. he's literally the toughest player at the league to stop at the rim He's getting easy buckets and he's passing well. I think I think you can make the argument that if, like you said, like you, I think if you're trying if you're betting on them, just you remove the names and you're saying, would you rather have the 20 year old wing, who's healthy, who's working out all the time, who's seen, who looks like RJ, versus Zion, who has already had knee problems before in the past? I think a person could talk themselves into RJ. I still lean Zion though. Zion's just crazy. No, yeah, I can totally respect that. Not, yeah, the whole take is basically based on his Zion's longevity. Absolutely. Yeah. So, like, so, like, you pretty much giving him, like, a Blake Griffin-ish type of career? Like, great in the beginning, amazing style. Better than Blake take- Griffin, um, but similar, yeah. That's who I compared him to a lot coming out of the draft. And I think, like, he'll age and 
he'll be able to adapt his game like Blake did for a few years there where he became like a pretty good passing forward and they basically ran the offense through him. But you see just that much weight coming down on those knees that often scares me. And the fact that I think he has surprisingly the highest percentage of shots being blocked in the league right now, which Mm -hmm. blew my mind to hear that. But I mean, it just, once he loses a little bit of that explosion as he gets older, I I worry about just if he's going to be able to maintain that level of dominance in the paint. Okay. I, I see you guys' points. I, I I do, but it can go either way. Because I mean, they're, they're great. All three of them are great players. Yeah, not yeah. That was a great draft to have either one, two, or three. Right? You get a a franchising changing player, a great cornerstone for your franchise. Man. Yeah, one of those yeah. drafts. Uh, so as far as like um, as far as like the upcoming draft, uh, Haynes, I know we have uh, probably because Dallas is probably not gonna be in the lottery. Luca has been playing insane. It looked like that in the beginning of the year, but Luca Magic. Uh, how do you feel about our, our two draft picks? Because we we do have a second rounder. I don't I don't believe Leon Rose is gonna give Tibbs uh three rookies this off season. How do you? Any players you you've been looking at that's been that would look like a great fit, or do you feel like we should just trade the pick for a veteran? Like, how do you feel we should go as far as the three, the two first round picks, and the second round that we have from Detroit? I certainly think trading is going to be an option, especially moving one of those picks for like more of a veteran style player. Um, I've been kind of looking at the Jeremy Grant trade from Oklahoma City to Denver as like mm-hmm. something that the Knicks could do where you take a solid young player, you bring him in, maybe he has a two years on his deal and maybe you can see if you can develop him into a proper fit for Tibbs. Um, but it's still wide open. I, I kind of want to see where they fall first, just because I think if they get a pick in the twenties, it's going to be kind of tough to move and get like a really good player per se. But in terms of like guys who make sense, I've been looking at Jaden Springer from Tennessee. He's, He's been kind of falling in mock drafts, but he's really good. He kind of has like Kyle Lowry qualities where he's a good defender, good size, not necessarily like that creator type of point guard per se, but you can put him in the backcourt and he can generate baskets. So I look at him as someone who, if the stock drop is real, if the Knicks could pick him up, you're getting someone who I honestly think is a top 10-ish talent. Wait, which player? Sorry, I didn't hear you. Oh, you're fine. Uh, Jaden Springer from okay, Tennessee. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, like he's someone who, to me, it feels like he can be a top 10 player from this class easy once we hit the lottery. And I'm not out of the realm of possibility of seeing him as like a top seven player. And his stock is falling. So I, I kind of think if the Knicks could get him with the Mavericks pick, that's a win. So that's really the only guy I got my eye on right now. Nolan, what about you? Any anybody? I know it's early in the process. Anybody you got your eyes on? Uh, in the draft, it's really tough, just because, like you said, it's like it's hard to figure out where we're gonna end up. Do we end up packaging one of our picks with the Detroit pick or our pick and the Dallas pick to move up a little bit? It's just such a wide range of players to look on. But um, speaking of trading those picks for an asset, I know uh, we had. Jeremy Cohen on yesterday, um, he was talking about the possibility of the Rockets doing a full rebuild. 
hands up. What do you think the likelihood of trading for a player like Christian Wood would uh, would happen? That's interesting. Um, I th- I mean I think the Knicks could do it. I don't know if. Houston would I mean Houston could turn around and turn him into a first round pick I just wonder if they can probably get a better pick because he has two years left on his deal he's still relatively young and that would be smart from Houston's point of view right you're taking you turned money into uh you turned money in a two-year deal into a rookie contract and a four-year asset I mean Christian would be interesting if I'm the Knicks however I want Kevin Porter Jr. I would be, yeah, if I'm calling Houston this offseason and we're talking trade, his name's on the table, I want to see what I can get, what I would have to give up to get him. Because I've been saying, every time I watch Houston play, I've been saying that he's the one player that the Knicks should have pushed in, uh, pushed on to get. And they, a lot of teams kind of fell back on that because of the issues in Cleveland. But he has, he has, every, he has the floor game that you want R.J. Barrett to have. Like, if you right. fused him and RJ together, you have one of the 15 Michael best Jordan. players in the league. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, yeah. So, like, if I'm calling Houston, Christian would be interesting, but I'm I'm putting chips in for Kevin Porter Jr. See, my issue with Kevin Porter Jr. is I don't know how well he fits into a Tibbs locker room. Mm-hmm. With all the issues he's had and everything, just like Tibbs is – maybe you can go the opposite way where Tibbs really – you know, whips him in line and, like, gets the most out of him. And, I mean, the talent's unquestionable. He's a great player. But if he's going to come in and mess up what great team chemistry we have right now, I that would be a concern of mine. But, I mean, if the front office has faith enough that that's not going to be an issue, then yeah, I'd be all for a trade for him as well. No, it's my – th- Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, my thing with that is just – Based off the conversations you heard with Julius Randle, um, Julius Randle did a podcast with J.J. Redick near the All-Star break. Yep. Um, and one thing he talked about is how those guys love to work, you know, and I think that atmosphere, the fact that R.J. and Quick and those guys want to be in the gym, I think Kevin Porter Jr.'s issues stem a little bit from immaturity. It's mm-hmm. not like he – it's not like – yeah, it's not like he has like a – you know, I hate to use an example, but like a drug problem or anything like that, right? Like right, it's, right. It's it's a it's a it's a kid who kind of had a rough upbringing who needs who needs a good strong foundation. And if the Knicks believe that between R.J. Randall, Tibbs, and the front office that they're building that, he's certainly someone that I would take the risk on per se. Yeah, I totally agree. I think if the front office, you know, like I said, has the faith in that, then I'm all for it. It's interesting to hear your opinion because when we brought it up to Jeremy uh, Cohen, he was pretty much saying that he was totally against it because, um, you know, he was saying uh, like people just see trades as 2K in the Knicks community and how like, you know, they didn't really account for like how he would be because he just got fined 50K, you know, for that altercation with him and Sterling Brown with the fans in Miami. Um, you know, he's always had problems, even dating back to high school. He had to transfer multiple high schools. Like people mm-hmm. always, coaches always felt like, you know, the streets were going to take him. Even like our, our boy, Jamal Crawford, took care of him um, a lot through his high school years. Now he went to college in Southern California. 
uh they didn't they even get to play the the whole season due to you know he not being able to be like you know go to school and do stuff like that like a regular like d1 college athlete would um you know but as far as the talent he just dropped the 50 bomb i agree i agree with you guys there's no reason why like the knicks didn't uh check check in on that uh, maybe they did check in on that and i guess like they didn't feel like the risk was rewarding enough uh to say but as far as like you know houston and their future like uh, they in my opinion they kind of botched the harden trade and it's interesting you know to see them replace them with kevin porter and to see them just go down like losing they lost like 10 11 straight games at one point I feel bad for Steven Silas for his first year. You know, he he's one of those coaches that put in the work as an assistant for years. And now he mm-hmm. finally gets an opportunity and he gets this shitty, shish, this shitty situation. I wasn't really feeling that. That's part of uh, one of the reasons why I hate Brooklyn is because of the way, you know, they did my boy Steven Silas dirty. I didn't like that. Like, uh, how do you feel about that, Quinn Hayes? Last, uh, last thing, like, you know, Steven Silas uh, ended the stick in this situation with Houston. Um, it's certainly a concern, especially when you consider how uh, coaches of color don't get proper second and third chances the way some some coaches do. So it is a concern that he may have got set up here. Um, but I also Luke Walton. Those, <laughs> I don't even, Luke Luke Walton is is a ski mask all star. That guy should, he yeah. has he has to. He has to be fired at the end of the season. There's no He'll way. just find no another doubt. job, bro. He'll just find another job. It's crazy. But I think Steven Silas has also shown you, like, little things in how he wants to run the team. I like some of their sets and some of their creativity. I like the fact that he's finding – like, he's, seeing, he's seemingly finding guys, right? Like, this guy, Jason Tate, like, yeah. he's been playing well. He got, like, a whole feature from the ringer and everything like that. He's been playing well. Um, I actually like Kenya Martin Jr., which is crazy. Kenya Martin Jr. in itself. Yeah, um, know, right? that's a developmental piece right there. <laughs> <laughs> but you're seeing them start to grab young players and try them out and see which ones work and which ones don't. And I kind of hope they win the lottery just because having a guy like Cade would help Silas for sure. But even if they don't win it, say they finish second or third, they're going to get another piece. They're going to get another shot at the apple cart. They're going to get a chance to you know, call every team in the league and say, hey, we got this cap space if you want it, you know, do you want to move a contract and stuff? So I think rebuilding in the league is weird because I I think nowadays teams kind of understand that you take the bad contract with the pick, you make your pick, you make their pick, and then you just kind of figure out which players to keep, which ones you don't. You scout internationally, you try to grab as many second round picks to take as many shots as you can. So the there is a formula to rebuilding. I just kind of hope Steven Silas gets his chance. And I honestly hope they get a point guard because I feel like if you get a point guard who has some level of talent there, I feel like you're going to see Houston do some interesting things on offense, at least. Nolan, what's your thoughts about that? Closing thoughts about Steven Silas? Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he hasn't had a fair shake. I mean, he came in probably thinking he was going to coach James Harden for a season and has John Wall and, you know, a bunch of Christian Wood and basically a bunch of other people that you don't really know. But I honestly think, like, yeah, that trade didn't go great for them with Harden. But like we said in that podcast, Cohen, like, 
he didn't really give him much choice. He was out there, made it pretty clear he wanted to go to Brooklyn, taking all these pictures out of parties, out of masks, all this stuff, not showing up to camp, showing up out of shape. And while they got nothing for him, I don't think Philly was going to trade him Ben Simmons. I don't think that – I mean, you can make the argument that uh, – Who's the guard from the Pacers or from Brooklyn that went to the Pacers? Karis LeVert. Yeah, Karis LeVert. I, I mean, I think he would have been a better player to go for than Oladipo. But, I mean, outside of that, they, they put him in a tough spot, man. And they're, they've, like you said, they've done a good job finding talent elsewhere to hopefully develop with some of these draft picks that they've accumulated. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, Rabbit now, um, um, Haynes, I appreciate you coming on to a brand new podcast. You know, me and Nolan, we've been grinding. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, make sure to check out Haynes' work at the at the wall, at the Knicks wall. Great content. <laughs> if you're a diehard Knicks fan, there's no way you should not be you should not be followed to that account and uh, reading their articles. Great content. Yeah, uh, and uh, Haynes, you said you're uh, dropping an article soon. Um, I'm working on it. We're trying to, I've been, uh, to let you guys know what I've been behind the curtains. I'm, I moved into more of an editorial position. So we're just trying to figure out, we're just trying to figure out what content we want to do, but either I'm going to drop something or we're just going to have a whole bunch of playoff content coming in the very near future. So. Hey man, one last question before I let you go, not basketball related, just because I saw you tweet it right before this pod, uh, talking about J Cole's KOD album. Yeah. Yeah, uh, all right. So what's your favorite song from that album right now? My favorite song. Um, it's a great album, man. It's a good they don't I don't know. I, I understand the the I understand the criticisms that J. Cole is born. Don't get me wrong, because yeah. it's the it's the beats. He he uh-huh. needs he, he kind of needs someone to pick his beats for him. Uh let me I haven't really listened to it in a while, but I've always been a, I like it's in my rotation. Um I mean, Kevin's heart is always good. Uh, I don't like 19. To be honest, I'm not a fan of 1985. Uh, the oh, ATM. Really? Yeah, I, I just think I just think in hip hop, uh, fighting against the younger kids has always been. It's yeah. always been like a weird. It's You're to me, it's now. like the equip. Yeah, it's like jumping the shark. Like, uh-huh. I, I agree. When you start when you start criticizing the kids, it just feels bleh to me. But. That album got that album's underrated because I think a lot of people kind of they're kind of done with J Cole, where it's just like J Cole has kind of mastered his sound, and it's just a sleepy sound. So for some people, they're never gonna get it. For the people who like his lyrics and stuff like that, I think they understand. Oh damn, man, for sure, man, for sure. Uh, yeah, J Cole, I can't wait for his upcoming album. Can't wait, cannot wait, cannot wait. Uh, so on that note, thank you. Uh, tomorrow we're getting Macri on. We're gonna be able to get a few questions in with Macri so check that out soon and uh yeah peace